And uh, let's go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 33 uh, to begin with here tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 33. And we're going to be looking at some thoughts on reaching people again here tonight. Uh, last week we looked at reaching people in the valleys of life, and I believe that's where we'll normally reach people. And so keep that in mind as the Bible talks about here the life of Manasseh in Second Chronicles chapter 33. Starting verse 9, again, I read through more of this before, but I'd just like to read through a little bit of this tonight. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of uh, Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Therefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the host of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him in fetters and carried him away to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him. And he heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Here we see in the Bible, some would be reached what I believe is in a valley. In a time of affliction, Manasseh was reached with the truth. During times of prosperity, he would not hearken, the Bible says, to the Lord, neither would the people hearken or listen to the Lord. And so we looked at, again, several again, thoughts here. Is it, uh, again, the Bible talks about uh, people, again, being reached. And uh, being reached, people, again, a lot of times are reached in a valley of need or want. And again, we certainly see that in the life of Manasseh. They're also reaching a valley of sinfulness and wickedness. We certainly see that in the life of Manasseh. We also see, again, in the life of Manasseh, someone reached in the valley of wandering or waywardness. He was far from the God that Hezekiah had taught him about. And so, again, I encourage you to try to reach people that this difficult time in our life and other people's life, as I believe, again, you may well see some people reach during this time. But I'd like you to take your Bibles this evening and let's turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll consider here tonight another thought concerning reaching people as we consider the scriptural basis for reaching people with the truth. A scriptural, re, uh, again, basis for reaching people with the truth. We'll start by reading this text in Romans chapter 3. And uh, as we read through this text in Romans chapter 3, I just want you to notice especially the fact that all, all sin before God and all are condemned before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, And as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are gone out of the way. They are altogether uh, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of aspis on their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in, thy, in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus, unto all and upon all that believe. For there is no, not, no difference. For all have sinned and come short to the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, that at this time that he may, might be just and a justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Wherefore, uh, so therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And I want to just stop there here tonight as we consider here tonight a scriptural basis for reaching people with the truth. Let's pray as we consider this thought here tonight. Father, we do thank you again for your word here today. Again, just ask, Lord, that you'd be with us here tonight. Help us, again, by your grace, again, to be able to understand, comprehend, and certainly, hopefully, be motivated to try to reach people with the truth. Bless this time. That we've had. We've been given grace too. And again, help us to again deliver that message of grace to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Try to, again, uh, be hopefully pretty speedy here tonight because I have a lot to cover here tonight. But I want to consider three scriptural reasons for reaching people. The first reason I want to look at, at tonight, and it comes from this passage and other passages in the Bible is number one, all need salvation because of the fall of man and because we all sin. All need salvation. That's why we need to reach people. Secondly, all by nature and choice deserve death. That's what the Bible teaches us. All by nature and choice deserve death. And then thirdly, we'll consider finally here tonight, all need to be delivered a message of hope, faith, and grace so they will not die. Are you involved with this? Am I involved with this? I know everyone that, again, gives to missions is at least in part involved with this and trying to give the message of salvation to others. As we consider man, let's turn back into the book of Genesis, and I want us to consider here tonight some basic truths, really, when it comes to man. He was created in a special way. He was created in the image of God. He was created different than the animals, and we need to understand that. So we don't need to be reaching animals. We don't need to be reaching plants. We don't need to be reaching really anyone but people that need to be saved by grace. Genesis chapter 1. Why did I mention people, animals, all these kind of things? Because people are often lumped in the same group as animals and other creation. But notice here in the creation account, the creation week, Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to pick up there in verse number 20 on the fifth day of creation. There were things, again, created before this by God. But let's pick up in verse number 20, Genesis 1:20. It says, and, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw it was good. 
God blessed them and saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth in the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So number of created beings, again, uh, created on day five. Verse number 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw it was good. And so he created, again, sea life, or uh, animals that would dwell in the water, animals that dwell in the air, and Animals that walk upon the face of the earth. And then it says in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over every, all the earth, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, he them, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God said, behold, I've given you the herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. And you and, and to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God, said every, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I'm not here again to talk about creation so much, but I do want to talk a little bit about creation as we consider this thought. All need salvation because of the fall. All need creation because of the fall. Man was created again to be a special spiritual being, an unusual spiritual being, a different spiritual being. He was created to have dominion, and the Bible says that. And it says that verse 28, it says, And God blessed them and said unto be fruitful and multiply and repentance the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He was to give, be given dominion. I believe, again, God was giving man dominion because he equipped him to have dominion. You say, how can he have dominion? Because he was created like unto God. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God gave man dominion, so he had power to govern over all creation to a large degree. He again was not to be in supreme dominion, but to be in a place of responsible dominion. Let's turn to the book of Psalms there, if you would. Psalm chapter 8, you can keep... A marker here if you like. We could also keep a marker in, in the book of Romans. But let's turn over to Psalm chapter 8. Given this responsibility of having dominion. Now he wasn't again given this uh, responsibility to have dominion so he could suppress animals and, and again not do things wrong to animals but rather to take care and to have uh, authority and governing authority and control over the things that live upon the earth. Psalm chapter 8 here, let's begin by reading in verse number 3. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, it says, And when I consider the heavens, 
and the works of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou puttest all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. Sounds a lot like Genesis there. Man was created to be a special being, to have dominion over the sheep, over the animals, over the sea creatures, over those things that fly in the air. And so he's created to be special. He is not just one of the animals. We are not just one of the animals. Make that uh, we can see, see that in the scriptures. We certainly understand that. Let's turn to Psalm 72. What makes man special? Man was given also, secondly, deliberate authority, but also was, again, called to responsibility. In Psalm chapter 72 here, verse number 1, and I'll read down to verse number 11, we look forward to that time when we will rule and reign and have dominion over all creation with the Lord Jesus. And again, we look forward again to his kingdom rule. But uh, let's consider this psalm here, at least the first few verses here, to verse number 11. Psalm 72, verse number 11, uh, 1 through 11, says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge the people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. The mountain shall bring forth peace to the people and Little hills by their righteousness, he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear as long as sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon, uh, upon the mown grass as showers uh, that water the earth. In his days shall the righteousness flourish in abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion oh, uh, from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth, and they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The king of Tarshish and the isles shall bring forth presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Why was man partly created? Certainly to be a special being but also to be a spiritual being. The Bible mentions there in verse number 11, it says, Yea, all kings shall fall down, and all nations shall serve him. Man was created to worship. There's no other creature that was created to worship. Have you ever seen a dog worship, or a cat worship, or a clam worship, or a sheep worship, or whatever it might be worship? No, we, we don't see these animals worship. Could God allow and make them worship? Sure he could. But he created man to worship. Even the king is supposed to fall down before God in worship. And every nation is to serve him. To serve God. And so God created again deliberately this special being, this man to worship him. To serve him. To be like unto him. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 1 as we consider us as created beings, I also want to mention he created man to be creative, much like God is. Again, we don't think about, again, different animals and we think of them being creative. We don't look at animals and we say, you know, that's a, 
That's a good designer. That's a good builder. That's, again, a good inventor. That's a good innovator, etc. But when we look at man, we see him much like God as a creator. Verse 26, the Bible, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't create animals to, again, create special things and do special things. He put that into them. But to go outside those things, to create things that are different than natural things. Did an animal create plastic? Did an animal create a car or a plane? Who's the designer beside, you know, behind all these different things? Man was. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. When it comes to cities, did, did uh, someone come up with that outside of human ingenuity or creativity or imagination? No, you find again God created man to be like him in many ways. He is a master designer. We are inferior designers, but yet creator designers. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 4, it says, And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we scatter abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, again, this is the building of Babylon, but you find in the Bible, man is a builder, a creator, a designer. God has been made, and man has been made in God's image, and so he's a creative type of a being. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. I want to say this also about man. About man, man has the ability to think way outside the ability that, that animals have to think. And again, I mention that here tonight because you know people try to say, well, you know, uh, maybe a porpoise or maybe a dolphin or whatever it might be is you know they can think. They, you can get them to do things. You can train them to do things and and all those kind of things. I, I understand that to some degree. But notice here in Genesis chapter 6 and, and verse number 5, what does man have that really I believe the animals at, to most extent do not have, at least certainly to the degree that we have? Notice here in verse 5 it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of his thoughts, of his heart, were only evil continually. Imagination. Every imagination. Evil imaginations. All kinds of imagined things. People will imagine something and they'll begin to create that thing. Or try to design something. Somebody looked, I believe, at a bird at one point in history and said, you know what, we should be able to create a mechanical thing like onto that. And they did. People are intellectual. They're willful. They certainly, again, can think along good lines. They can think about things along bad lines. Let's turn to Psalms uh, 73. We are rational beings, but we can be irrational. We think of animals, and normally an animal is created in such a way that God made them to be instinctive. And they were designed by God, again, to react to instinct. But you'll find, again, people uh, doing things contrary to nature and things contrary to the things of God. Again, Romans talks about that in Romans chapter 1, the natural use of things, and they'll pervert those things and do all kinds of things. Uh, along that lines. Why is that? Because people think. They think far beyond maybe the things that uh, animals might think. Psalm 73, verse number 25, the Bible says, Thou shalt, Psalm 75, sorry, verse number, uh, Psalm 73, verse 25, sorry there. 
It says, And whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but my, my God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish, and thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Behold, it's good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord, and I will declare all thy works. Just want to say this about man, not always is he creative, not always is he, again, intellectual and innovative and imaginative, but I also want to mention this about, about uh, a man. He wants to be relational with God. You see that, again, in the perversions of religion. You also see that in the worship of true religion. Man has a desire to have relationship with God. It says there in verse number 25, the writer says, whom I, whom I have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. This writer has a desire, has a, a want, if you would, to have a serious and personal relationship with God. You don't see that with animals. No animals in God relationships. But you see this with man. Man desires to have relationship with God, and God has desire to have relation with man. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 26. You say, why is that? Because there's likeness. I believe in part because there's likeness. We have some likeness to God. He is the great master builder. We are less superior builders. We have dominion to some degree, but God has dominion over all things. We are, maybe you would say, people that are stewards of his dominion. We watch over his creation, we use his creation, we feed off his creation, we help to build things as far as creation and different things. Leviticus chapter 26, verse number 12, it says, And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I'll walk among you. I'll be your God. You shall be my people. God, people, people, God, these go hand in hand. Man was created again to be in a humble relationship with God. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 57, we're not on the same plane as God. God never designed us to be on the same plane as God. You know, Satan desired to be like unto God. We certainly want to be like unto God as far as his character, those good qualities that God has, etc. His love is his, uh, his uh, long-suffering, whatever it might be. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57 here, verse 15, the Bible says that, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Now who is that? That's certainly God. He's the one that inhabits eternity. He's the high and lofty one. I will dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite heart and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So, you have God who's high and holy and lifted up, wanting to dwell with who? Humble people. And so there's this relationship with God and man. Man is to be the one who's humble in relation to God, given this honor of being a special creation by God. Let's turn to Psalm 100 as, as being this person, these people, these special creatures, if you would, that were created by the hand of God on day six of creation, separate from the walking bees, separate from the water animals. 
He created us to have a relationship with him, and we are to have a relationship with him because we are like unto him. We are not like unto him in certain ways. We'll look at that here in a little bit because we aren't like unto him in holiness, but we are like unto him in certain ways. Psalm chapter 100, the Bible says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye the Lord, that he is God, and he has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. The Lord is God. His mercy endures forever. His truth endures to all generations. He made us, not we ourselves. We are his people. That is God's desire that we be in a relationship with him. And certainly, again, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you see a close relationship with God and Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm not going to go into great details with this, but I just want to, to say this. They had a close relationship. Again, God defined what they should do. They worked there in the garden. They were to be, again, helpful in the garden and, and again, uh, assist God in everything that he had as far as his plan. But he outlined some things that they should do and shouldn't do. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 2 at verse number 16. The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So he put some limits on their dominion. And he put some limits on what they could do. He defined their dominion. You could freely do a whole lot of things, but you cannot eat of this tree. Do not eat of this tree. But what did they do? They were tempted to eat of the tree, and they ate of it. You know that. In verse number uh, 1 in the next chapter, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. Neither touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto him, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be as gods, little g, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and, and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat, and gave it to her husband, and he did eat, and the eyes of them were both open. They knew they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together, and made them aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God created them to have a special relationship with him, a very close relationship with him, one where they shared dominion to some degree. But yet, there are defined borders there. And the border there was that you can't eat of this tree. And so they were told not to do this. They decided, you know, we're going to do this. And sin came into the world. Now, someone says, how does this fit into my life? Well, they sinned and it brought, first of all, shame. Verse number seven says that. It says, and the eyes of them were open. And they, they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. They now seen things that made them ashamed. We, we sinned against God, now we're, we're ashamed. Let's cover ourselves. Let's, 
hide herself to some degree from God. They didn't think that way before. They also were in a place where they were now separated. Verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves because from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Why did they separate themselves from God? Now they were fearful of God. They were not in a place of close fellowship with God. They were separated from God. Sin had entered into, again, their lives and into their relationship with God. And so they're now in a place where they're hiding from God. They're separated from God. They're not where they used to be before God. In verse number 12, they also were in a place where they began to blame each other's blame shift when it comes to why they sinned before God. Verse 12, it says, And the man said to the woman, whom he, thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And, and the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so they began to do what all sinners do. They, they blame people for their sin. And Adam and Eve blamed one another, or blamed somebody else for their sin. You see again him, him blame his wife, and you see the wife blame the devil, and people are still doing that today. They're blaming someone else, and they're blaming the devil for their sin, and they don't want to take responsibility for their sin, but all need salvation because they all fall in Adam. We all sin because of Adam. He fell, and we all fall. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Now, someone says, that's not fair. I I, I shouldn't be in trouble with God because he sinned. I shouldn't die because I wasn't there. I, I, maybe I wouldn't have done it. Maybe I would have done something different. Well, notice what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude or the similarity of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of them that was to come. But not as offense, so also a free gift. For if through the offense of one many were dead, be dead, much more by the grace of God, and the gift of grace, which is by one, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. We can read on from there, but we'll just stop there. We find it in the Bible, by one man's disobedience, sin came to the world, and death by sin. And so we see again the sentence of death set against man now. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They didn't die that day physically. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had in the Bible children, etc. But they died spiritually. And we'll consider some thoughts maybe along that lines here in just a little bit. But Romans chapter 6 and verse number 28. I want us to read this and consider this. Why do we need to reach people? Because all we need salvation because of the fall. We're all cursed. We're all sin cursed. We're all going to be judged because of our sins. We're all spiritually dead in Adam. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And so because Adam sinned, he had a death sentence against him. 
Romans chapter 3, let's turn back there. You say, well, maybe I don't sin. Well, I know you sin. Romans chapter 3, verse number 9, 10 says you sin, and I sin. What then? Are we better than they? And no wise, for we have proved both Jews and Gentiles that are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. And so the Bible teaches us that all are under this death sentence. The wages of sin is death. There's a death sentence against you. Because of your sin, you deserve to die. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, you can just write that down. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn over there. Ephesians chapter 2, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so when Adam sinned, he died. When Eve sinned, they died. And that death passed upon all men for all have sinned. We all die and deserve to die. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible declares we are spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, or gave life to, quickened, giving life to the lifeless, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, the children that worketh, and the children of disobedience. And so the children of disobedience are dead in trespasses and sins. Whether it's Adam, whether it's us, we are all spiritually dead, and as a result of sin, we deserve death. A death sentence is against us. Ephesians chapter 4, let's turn over there. Ephesians 4, verse 18. Why do we need to reach people? Because people are spiritually dead. They made a choice to sin against God, just like Adam and Eve did, and as a result, they will die. They deserve to die. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. It says, having your understanding darkened and alienated from a life through God, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. greediness. Also, those words are verse 8, being alienated from a life through God, through ignorance. Well, some people just don't really know anything about spiritual death, physical death, the second death. But yet the Bible talks about all these deaths. The natural man is dead in sin. The natural man deserves to die. There's no man, the Bible says, that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. There's no discharge in that war. No one has the ability to stop death when it comes. It will come to all men. We talked about that last, I believe, Sunday, Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. But, but death, that happens to animals. And again, death, again, that's universal to a large degree. Again, uh, if we get to the point at some point in history here uh, where the rapture comes, some will not die. Elijah didn't experience death. And uh, we find here Revelation chapter 20, but the rule of faith, the rule generally is that people die. Because of sin, we die. Revelation chapter 20, and uh, actually it's Revelation chapter 21, verse number 7 through verse number 8. 
The second death awaits the unbelieving. And that's the scary part. The second death awaits every unbelieving person. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what relative they're connected with. Doesn't matter if they're alone in this world. Doesn't matter if they can't speak English. The second death awaits the unbelieving. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Again, God desiring that relationship with us. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now that's not good news, is it? No, it's not good news. People are dead in sin. People are going to die someday. And people, again, will experience a second death if they do not believe. The Bible says the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, etc. But someone says, well, maybe I'll just change my mind at some point in time. Maybe, maybe even after I die, I'll change my mind about salvation, about God, about righteousness, having a relationship with Him. Notice this verse, Revelation 22, verse number 11, it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Many have said this down through history, how you die, you're going to remain. You die lost, you'll die unjust. You die lost, you die filthy. You die saved, you die righteous. You die saved, you die holy. What spiritual condition are you in today? What spiritual condition are many people in today? We need to reach people because people will die and die in their sins. But let's turn back to Romans chapter 3. That's the bad news if you would, again, uh, look at the overall picture here of the gospel message. The gospel message, again, we must declare to people the bad news. And we know the bad news, so to speak. There's a fall, and because of that fall, all men have sinned. And uh, will uh, we'll gain the wages of their sin. But also we find here that there's also a remedy for sin. And so we want to talk about this quickly. Thirdly and finally, reasons for reaching people with the gospel is so that they may be delivered by a message of hope, faith, and grace so that they don't die. People don't have to die guilty before God. Verse 19, it says there, And we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to under the, them that are under the law, that the whole world may be guilty before God. Guilty. All guilty. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all come short of the glory of God. But yet the Bible says right after that, it says being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But there's grace. There's grace. And we need to give to people that message of grace. There is grace redemption through Christ Jesus. How is that grace imparted? Look at verse 25. Whom God has sent to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God can forgive, God can forget, uh, for, forbear through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to say this. The cry of God is don't die. 
The messenger of God is again to bring a remedy to people so that they do not die. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. God created us special. He created us spiritual. He created us intellectual. He created us imaginative. He created us to make choices. He created us to have a will. And with all those things, we need to exercise that will towards God. God has a will, and we have a will. And uh, the Bible says here in Ezekiel chapter 33, in verse number 11, it says this. It says, Say unto them, as I say, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so how can someone be delivered by a message of hope and faith and grace? They need to believe in the salvation that's possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. They need to believe in the salvation that is possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they need to turn, the Bible says, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Let's turn to Matthew in the New Testament, Matthew 18. The message of the gospel is turn. And if I was to simplify it as easy as I could, it's turn and trust. If we could take those two terms, they really could understand them. That's how simple really the gospel is. Turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sins that you do not die, and trust in grace, trust in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's not complex. But there are two parts, really, to salvation, turning from your wicked ways and trusting in Christ. Matthew 18 here, verse 14, the Bible says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. No child should die and perish. No person should die and perish. That's God's will. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, repeats this same general will. Ezekiel says it's, it's God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's desire is that they turn from the evil ways and live. 2 Peter here, chapter 3, verse number 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 1 talks about the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God is good and desires for men to have a relationship with him. He has established that relationship with his son. He has established that relationship through substitution by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. How, do, how does someone gain this? Someone says, I want salvation. How do you gain it? Well, you, you gain it as a gift. Everybody knows something about gifts. Gifts need to be taken, and gifts have to be received. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We exchange death for a gift. We deserve to die. The penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death, but we turn from our wicked ways that we die not. We turn to Christ in faith. We place our faith in his blood. Let's read this verse here if we could. Romans chapter 3, 25. Romans 3.25 from our text. Whom God has set forth 
uh, set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Blood redemption. There's power in the blood. There's redemption in the blood. There's salvation in the blood. There's forgiveness in the blood. There's hope in the blood. There's grace in the blood. Will you put your faith in the blood? It's that simple. We deserve to die, but God offers us life instead. Let's turn to John chapter 6. But some people say, well, I don't, I don't like that salvation you have. I, I like my salvation, the salvation of Jesus. I, I like the salvation of grace and works. I like works and I like to do things for God and I want grace to be applied to. And I want to mix these two together. I just say this, you're, at a, you're going to be in a precarious situation if you try to mix grace and works. Many religions mix grace and works. And that destroys grace. John chapter 6, verse number 26. What must you do to be saved? John 6, verse 26. The Bible says that Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say unto you, You seek me, not because of the miracles, but because you eat, did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat that perisheth, uh, but for that meat that endureth to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. He can give you everlasting life. He can give you this. For him hath God the Father sealed. Let's read on. It says, That said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has said. What does God want from you? Just believe on him. Just put your trust in him. Accept the free gift of eternal life. It's yours. If you'll take it. It's not yours if you won't take it. Verse 47, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John chapter 1, let's turn there. I'm just about done here tonight. The basis of reaching people with the gospel. All need salvation because of the fall. All by nature deserve to die. And all need us to bring a message of hope faith, and grace to them. John chapter 1, verse number 20, uh, John chapter 1, sorry, verse number 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of God, uh, will of man, but of God. Receive him. Receive him. As your Messiah, receive him as your substitute, receive him as your Savior, receive him as your Lord, and you won't die. You simply won't die. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. That's grace. That's God's love. That's God's mercy in action. That's God's will. That's God's hope. That's God's faith. Trust him. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. Turn from your sins and trust him. Romans 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand, there is none that seeketh after God. Verse 19, And now we know that whatsoever the law saith, that saith to them that are under law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Wherefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so by the law, we know that we're sinners. We're sinful. We skip to verse 23. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or payment through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say it to you at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and a justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where's boasting? It's excluded. By the law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of a law. God wants a humble relationship with you. You've got to trust in faith in his blood. We seek a solid, secure foundation for your faith at this time. You can find that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.